Well, open your Bible this morning to Ephesians chapter 5. We find ourselves in that new wonderful section of Ephesians chapter 5. And I've titled the message, Walking in Light. We'll go part one. We'll go part two. Maybe as you're turning there, and I'll read the passage, do be praying for Patty and I. We will be getting on a plane tomorrow on our way to Tirana, uh, Albania, to be uh, with our missionaries, Corey and Christine, our precious family, and uh, pray for them. We're so encouraged with what the Lord is doing. They reinstalled Corey there in the church and uh, to the delight of almost all the people in that church. And so we're thankful that he's continuing on. But Ephesians chapter 5, pick up the text, follow along as I read. For at one time you were darkness, but now in 5.8 you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit is found, of the light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. It says in verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Let's bow in a word of prayer and then we'll dive in. Father, thank you for the privilege of opening your word that we do each and every week, and we'd ask that you'd illuminate our minds to uh, cause us to see what it means to walk in the light, and Father, even encourage us by this truth this day that we'd be found faithful in the midst of a dark and perverse world in which we live. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. I mean, whenever you're preaching, you're certainly looking for the key verb, the lead verb in the text. And so we come to a paragraph in Ephesians 5, 8 through 14, and there's no doubt, even if you backed up into verse 3, down through verse 14, that the lead verb is in verse 8 there, the second half of 8, walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. And really what Paul does here is he brings us to one of the most striking analogies of the radical difference between the old life, the old self, and then the new life and the new self in Christ. In fact, the entire paragraph is rich in metaphor, you couldn't miss it, metaphor of light and darkness. In fact, glance down again at verse 8, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Verse 8 says, to walk as children of light. Look at the beginning of verse 9, for the fruit of the light. It's Go over to verse 11 where it says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Verse 12, it says, Therefore it is a shame to speak of these things. They do so in secret. In other words, it's in secret. It's it's hidden. But look at verse 13. But when everything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. And then it says in verse 14, For anything that becomes visible is light. Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And so here's that theme, to walk in the light. Just for a moment as we begin here, 
Let me expand on that theme biblically, briefly. It will help you, I think, understand what it means to walk in the light. It, it is, of course, light was created by God in Genesis 1. He profoundly said, let there be light, and there was light. But often in Scripture, predominantly, it designates two figurative uses of light and darkness that are crucial to our understanding. Light, in the Scripture, intellectually represents truth, and light, (coughs) excuse me, morally represents holiness. And so he said, let there be light, and physical light came. But often, it's intellectually in the mind representing truth and morally holiness. Now, we know that this is rich in metaphor throughout all of the Scripture. First John profoundly says that God is light. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.16 that God dwells in unapproachable light, both, I think, physically, because His glory is light, but certainly morally. It says in Psalm 104, verse 2, that... um, that he is the light, that he's covered with light. We know back in the Old Testament from Isaiah 49, 6, that it says that Jesus is the light of the nations. It says that in Psalm 119, you remember the text, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a what? A light unto my path. In other words, the word of God is a light intellectually. The word of God is a path, morally, walk in it. Of course, when you get to the New Testament, Jesus said in John 8, 12, that I am the light of the world. In other words, he's truth. He's holiness. In fact, he said, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In other words, he's the light. He's the truth. In John 1, 4, it says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. There was a true light, which coming into the world was Jesus Christ. Christ is the source of all spiritual light. He's the source of all moral light. He is the light for all forms of purity and holiness. And because he is light... In him, the Bible says, there is no darkness at all, not even just a bit, not even a stain of any kind of darkness. There is no blemish in the character of God. There is no falsehood in God. There is no deception in God. There is no deception at all. He is utterly and absolutely holy. So that metaphor is of truth, of life itself, holiness. Then again, on the other hand, darkness in Scripture intellectually is just the opposite. It represents ignorance of Christ, ignorance spiritually. Darkness represents sin. It represents evil. And uh, to those who don't know Christ, they are blinded, if you will, to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, look over in chapter 4 of Ephesians, where Paul said, you remember this, I say to you and testify 
in the Lord that you no longer walk that you used to as the Gentiles do. How did they walk? In the futility of their minds. And then verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. Life without Christ. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. There is darkness. The darkness that comes to someone both physically, we would understand darkness, but here metaphorically it affects man's thinking, his intellectual understanding. It affects his morality. His heart is hard. In fact, Paul would say to you in 2 Corinthians 6.14, what fellowship has light with what? Darkness. They can't coexist together. In fact, in the description of fallen, depraved man in Romans 1, Paul says their foolish heart was darkened. In other words, they're darkened in their heart, they're darkened in their mind, and he says, but you, you've not learned Christ, look at 420, in this way. He says, you have been created, look at 424, in the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. You are to walk in a different way than the world because he redeemed you is the thought. In other words, you're to walk worthy in 4.1. You're to walk in love in 5.2. You're to stay away in 5.3 through 6, what we just preached on, love's perversion. You're not to be a partaker in that sin. You're not even to let it be named among you. You are to walk as children of light. Now, Paul's going to tell us how to do that. He's going to tell you, he's going to tell my own heart how to walk in this light in the midst of a dark and perverse world. He reveals five truths to walk as children of light. So you might be asking, what does that look like? How, how do I how do I understand this? He's just going to lay this out in the scripture. So five transforming truths that enable you to walk as a child of light. The first thing is he reveals a transforming conversion. A transforming conversion. Look at verse 8. He says there, for at one time, past tense, you were darkness... But now you are light in the Lord, therefore walk in the light. In other words, if you're following the context here, the reason that we can't live in sexual immorality, the reason that we can't live in impurity, the reason that we can't be greedy to practice lustful desires is that you are no longer who you once were. You're different. God has converted you. That's the point. He's transformed you. You have been born again. Chapter 2, verse 5, you have been made alive. In that sense, you have been regenerated. We have been transformed, if you will, out of darkness 
in our conversion. Now look at the text again in 5.8. For at one time you were darkness. Now it's interesting that Paul does not say that you were in the realm of darkness. He doesn't even just say that you were surrounded by darkness. But look at the text again. It says there very clearly at one time you were darkness. In other words, at the core of your being, before Christ, you were darkness. In fact, look back to chapter 2 just for a moment. He says in 2.1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, Paul doesn't just say you in 2.1, but he comes back in verse 3, among we, meaning the Jewish people, all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He goes on there to elicit that fallen man is depraved. And we said that depravity does not mean that every man is as corrupt as he could be or that every man indulges in every form of sin or even that man cannot perform some external good deeds. No, beloved, we said biblically that depravity means that the whole of man is affected and sin extends to every part of man's nature and his faculties. So before you came to Christ, you were once in darkness, spiritual darkness. It extended to the will, it extended to the mind, it extends to the affections, it extends to the emotions, it extends to speech and behavior in Mark 7, 21. So depravity means that within man, there is no spiritual good, okay? That man in, in and of himself is not capable of seeking after the things of God. Now, obviously, humanism doesn't believe what I just said in, a, in our culture. It would see sin at the edge or the periphery of life. Man would see human beings as basically good. I don't need to tell you that, but that's, you know that to be true. But the biblical view of man's nature teaches that sin permeates the core of our life. That apart from Christ, we're in darkness. We were, but you could be here this morning without Christ, and you're thinking, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty neat guy. I don't do anything wrong. Listen, the Bible's going to unleash this type of thing that you were once in darkness and your whole life is dark. In fact, there's no spiritual life in you. You may have grown up in a great home. You may have grown up around the scripture, but it's never touched you so as to change you. And so here Paul's looking back before he ushers the command. He says, I want to remind you that you were once in darkness. In fact, this is the testimony of Scripture. Excuse me, Genesis 6, 5. 
that the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of his thoughts, of his heart, was only evil continually. I mean, the Bible doesn't paint a pretty picture here. The Bible's real clear that apart from Christ, you and I were bound up in darkness. In fact, in Genesis 8, 21, it says there, the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. In other words, nobody's excluded from this. And from an early age, people begin to express that darkness. In fact, a writer in Ecclesiastes 9, 3 said, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. Now listen, I'm not trying to thunder down some perspective that just crushes you, but this is a biblical view of who we are apart from Christ. You know it, you could probably quote it with me in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And then the writer said there, who can understand it? And I say in brackets, no one. No one can understand the condition of man's heart but God alone. In fact, Mark told us, did Jesus in 721, for from within, where does this stuff come from? From within, out of the heart of men come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Jesus said all these evil things come from within, and they defile the person. In fact, Jesus said in John 3.19, this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people loved the what? The darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. So man is spiritually dead to God. And it's not just a few, it's universal. This sin that is spread, this darkness that is spread, is universal. Second Chronicles 6.36, for there is no one who does not sin. No one. Psalm 103, verse 3, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? I mean, you may be in here thinking, I haven't sinned as bad as some people or some students, But listen, if the Lord were to mark iniquities, who could stand before him? The answer is no one. Reminds me of James, that whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles at one point, he's become guilty of all. Psalmist said in 143.2, enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. No one. No one living is righteous before God. You may even be thinking, hey, I'm going to hold out a little bit. I'm a nice person. You can try that, but every breath you take, every beat of your heart, you are playing Russian roulette with a gun with one bullet in the chamber, hoping that it doesn't go off. I mean, no one living is righteous before God. Proverbs, it says in 29, who can say I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. Who can say that? And the answer, of course, is no one. Ecclesiastes 7.20 said, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. You would be aware of 
Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have, what, gone astray. Each has turned everyone to his own way. Just wandering, if you will. In fact, it says in Job 14, 4, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? The answer is no one. Jeremiah 13, 23, can the Ethiopian change the color of his skin or can a leopard change his spots? Then also you can do good. Then also can you do good who are accustomed to do evil? I mean, the blightman is awful, if you will. So depravity means that within man there is no good, no spiritual good. Man apart from Christ is dead, depraved, and he's bound in our text here, by darkness. You say, well, where does that lead? Darkness in its final form is a place where unbelievers will be thrown into hell, and hell is described, can you imagine that? As a place of outer darkness. So what does that mean? I just, I take it to mean it's, there's no hope. There's no light. There's no truth. There's no holiness. It is to be cast into a place away from the presence of God in a place that's described as outer darkness. And then people have the audacity to say to me when I'm preaching the gospel to them just in conversation, listen, Scott, I I don't want to go to hell, but if that's where my friends are, then that's where I want to go. They have no idea what they're saying. Hell is a place of outer darkness. Jesus said it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here's the point that Paul's making. He says there in 5.8, For you at one time were darkness. You were a sinner by choice, a sinner by nature. And here would be the ultimate question even this morning. How do we bring about that change? I mean, how do you bring about that change? How do you go from dead to alive? And the truth is, in utter honesty, is you can't do that. I can't do that. So what are you talking about, pastor? Well, you can't affect that change. You say, well, why can I not affect that change? I'm here this morning. I'm listening to you preach. But you're powerless to bring about that change, powerless to make a decision that way. You say, why so? Because it says in Ephesians 2, 1, you were, what, dead in your trespasses and sins. In other words, if you think you're like happening right now and waiting out on the Lord and you want to raise your kids to wait out on the Lord, the Bible describes us, and I was in that as flatlined on the EKG of God's spiritual EKG machine. There's not a blip in the screen. You think, well, I I don't know if I want to submit right now. Well, if you don't want to submit to him, just understand, here's what Paul's saying as you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We have been permeated by sin, but all praise be to God You say, well, what happened? Well, look back in chapter 2. Here's what happened. It says, but God, 2-4, being rich in mercy. Isn't it interesting? It's God, not you. 
It's God's mercy that he's rich in, and which is an awesome thought. Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, here it is, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So listen, beloved, what we can't do, God has done. He's raised us up by his power. He breathed life into us. He caused us to be generated. He caused us to be born again. He's the one who gets the glory. You're not making a decision. He's bringing you to a point where your sin is so heavy. Your burden is so great. The conscience is on fire. And he begins to weave his word into your life so that at one point, invariably, you are going to drop the need to Christ and trust him and look to him and cry out to him and beat your breast and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So listen, look now at 5.8. He says, you were once darkness, but now, 5.8, you are light in the Lord. In other words, he took you from being spiritually dead and he made you spirit, he took you from being dead to making you spiritually alive. He took you from a place of walking in sin in 2.2 to preparing you for good works in 2.10. He took you after loving the course of this world and he put you into the heavenly places. He took you out from the bondage of the devil but places you in Christ in the beloved. He takes you from being a son of disobedience and he makes you his workmanship in 2.10. He took you from being an object of his wrath to now being a recipient of mercy and love. Is that not cool? He did all that for you. He changed your status. He changed your life. He changed your heart. He changed your affections. I just remember at 14 years of age, getting off my knees, I've told you this before, over the burden of my sin, and just, I couldn't explain it. Something happened inside me. And what it was is regeneration. He, he breathed, he made me live. He, he showed me and slayed me over my sin. And then he showed me the sweetness of Christ and I got up and I can still remember it. Off the floor of my bedroom in Canoga Park and I just remembered the joy that filled my heart. The peace that he gave me. And what the strangest thing was is the things that I used to love, I now hated. And the things that I uh, once Hated church, the scriptures, I now loved. And I'm like, what is happening to me? That's what happens in the soul of everyone who comes to Christ. He changes you from a child of wrath and makes you a, a son of God. Now watch this in 5.8. For you were at one time, were darkness, but now, I like that. For one time, but now, you are light in the Lord. You say, what, what do you mean, you're light in the Lord? Well, watch this. As God the Father, as God the Son, Jesus Christ, are light, it follows that those who are in the Lord 
made possible by our union with Christ, that you are now light in the Lord. That's what it means. Just as God is light, just as he is the one who has intellectual truth spiritually and and truth for life and holiness, he's placed that in your heart. And because we share in Christ's light through our identification, you now, Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount, are the light of the world. So believer, before he tells you what to do, me what to do, he's giving you your identity. He's telling you who you are. You are the light of the world. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. And then he went on to say back in Matthew 5 that you are the light of the world. And Paul says here that we are now the light of the world in the Lord. That's a transforming conversion. This is what conversion is. This is what salvation does. He transfers you from darkness to light. And then he's going to not just show you a revealing uh, conversion. Secondly, look though. It's a transforming command. In other words, he deals with your identity, then he gives you the command. He says there in verse 8, look at it again, now you are light in the Lord, and then he says, walk as children of light. So here's the conversion, here's what he did. Now the command, and it's an imperative for you, for me, to walk as His children were children of God, walk as children of light. Remember, you once walked in the darkness. You once were described as the Gentiles in 417. Now you need to walk as children of light. So what does that mean? Well, certainly in the context, there's much to say all over the scripture. But it says that now you're to look at 5.1, be imitators of God. That's what your life is to be like. Whereas once you loved the things of the world, caroused in the things of the world, lived in the things of the world, you imitated the world in its dress, you imitated the world in its music, you imitated the world's stars and whatever all that stuff is on TikTok and all the social media and all the the brands that the world loved, if you will, not once you're in Christ. Out of all he's done for you, you're to imitate God. He should be the pattern of your identity. Do you understand why he said in verse 7, look at 5-7, therefore do not become partners with them is the thought. Don't participate in their sin. Positively in 5-2, you're to walk as children of the light, but I do say this, that you can't do both at the same time. You can't be a son of darkness and a children of the light at the same time. You either you can't serve two masters. And this is probably what needs to be heard in the San Joaquin Valley. So rich in so many things, so rich in sometimes even the Christian community. But I'm saying here, you can't do both. When God transferred you, when God saved you, when God redeemed you, he changed you from the inside out. And whatever you used to do and you used to love, now you hate. And the things that you used to hate, you now love. This is the testimony of Scripture. It says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. But you are 
not in darkness. I like that. You're not, because he redeemed you out of that by your identity. He says, you're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. He's talking about the day of the Lord. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night or darkness. Listen, your identity in Christ is to be a child of the light. If your children have confessed Christ, then they need to be shown this pattern and this command. We begin at conversion, but it leads to this command. Peter says, does the apostle in 1 Peter 2.9, God has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Walk then, he says, as children of the light in holiness. Walk in purity. Walk in the truth. And when he says that, look down in verse 8 again. But now you are, that's present tense. In other words, once God redeems you, once he saves you, he puts you on a path. It's not sinful perfection, but it's the direction of your life. And you're ever to be walking both in love walking a worthy walk, but here's the thought. You're walking towards the light. You're walking towards the truth. Your pattern is walking towards holiness. I think this will come out in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. I think it's the next slide that comes up where Paul is talking about, go to that next slide, you guys, that in the case the God, little g, Satan, of this world has blinded, there's that spiritual darkness, the minds of the unbelievers, to keep them from seeing with your eyes the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And then one of my favorite scriptures, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who said, light or let light shine out of the darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Listen, here's the command. You are to walk as children of light. The comparison is seen there. Look at the next scripture in the book of Romans. I think this will come up in chapter 13. Do you see these metaphors? It's not talking about the night, like last night, the physical. The night is far gone. In other words... You, if you're naming Christ, that's far gone. That's in your past. The day, recognizing love, then, he says, let us cast off, get rid of them. Take them off, Ephesians 4.22. The works of darkness, and interestingly here, put on the armor of light. And then look how he applies this. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. I love that phrase, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So beloved, here's the truth. Here's the command. This church, you, your family, your precious children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren need to not only be taught the truths of Scripture, but they need to be commanded here, if they're believers, to walk in 
the light. But you might say, and it comes to the third and final one this morning, how do I live out this command? Look at verse 9. He tells us in the text here, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good, all that is right, all that is true. So he takes us from a transforming conversion to a transforming command. And then here, there's a transforming conduct. So what does it mean? Well, it can mean different things in Scripture. But here's a practical explanation of how you are to conduct yourself and walk in the light. He says, you once were, but you now are. And he's going to move here from what we said, the indicative of who we are, okay, to the imperative, how we should live. And the imperative is walk in the light. And obviously, this is obedience to his commands. But you say, what does that look like? Well, look again at verse 9. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. He describes that conduct. And he mentions that phrase. Look at it in verse 9. For the fruit of the light. The fruit, if you will. We know the fruit of the Spirit. Have you seen that phrase before? The fruit of the light. It is, what is that? It is the outworking of conversion. The outworking of conversion. Conversion. It, it, it speaks of production, the production of fruits, of the ideal of walking in the light. In, in our area, even in this agricultural area, he's talking about the harvest here. He's talking about what your life and my life ought to look like, okay? Here is what the light results in. And I think if you look at verse 9 for the fruit of the light, I think it's compared, look over at verse 11, where he says, take no part, 511, in the unfruitful works of darkness. So the conduct of a believer is going to be marked not by deeds of darkness, but by fruit of the light. You say, well, what are those? Well, this transforming conduct of fruit is marked by three virtues, goodness, righteousness, and truth, and we'll pick that up next time, okay? Would you bow your head with me?